Hey, uh, childcare, uh, Nikki was just mentioning that, and every week, hun- oh, by the way, hi. Forgot that bit, awkward. Um, every, every week, uh, we have hundreds of children come through uh, Timberline, and we want to we wanna help them and uh, engage with them and keep them safe as well. And that means we need volunteers, and we really do need volunteers, and not only volunteers to help us, but also we have some hourly paid positions in our uh, early childhood department as well. And so if you could help us with that, uh, you can go to the app or you can scan the QR code. We would love to hear from you. And let me take 30 seconds to just say this. This church would not operate across our campuses without our fantastic volunteers who are doing tech and welcoming and in the parking lot and doing so many things. Could we give them a round of applause, please? Because we are so grateful for them. Uh, Also, a few weeks ago, I mentioned these new daily Bible reading notes, Life with Lucas, and if you have ordered them, we flew some more over from the UK, and you need to pick them up today, because after today, we will be selling them generally. They're going to run out, so if you ordered them, you put your name down, please go buy the cafe cafe and uh, pick yours up, and I mean, pay for it as well, that'd be kind of helpful. Um, Those are there for you. Well, we have... uh, a friend with us today. She's part of our Timberline family. Jen McLean is the executive director of the Alpha Center. We're going to hear a little bit about their work. Would you welcome Jen, please, as she comes? Well, good morning. Hello, church family. It is always so fun to be at my home church and to share about uh, the ministry that I get to lead and that I'm so passionate about. And thank you for such a warm introduction and just the opportunity to be here today. And I also just want to thank the church body as a whole for being a church that invests and makes deposits into the life-affirming ministry of Alpha Center. It really does um, make such a significant difference. So thank you for being part of uh, the body of Timberline. And it may be that you are familiar with the Alpha Center, and it may be that today you're sitting here or you're listening online and you're thinking, who's the Alpha Center and why is this lady up there talking? Uh, We are the only Christian sexual health clinic in Fort Collins, and we're committed to caring for anybody and everybody who would need our services uh, in a safe, dignified, loving, caring, and professional way. Uh, We recognize that um, all of us face challenges at different times, and for those facing um, sexual health challenge, be that pregnancy or potentially a concern about STD, we provide pre-abortion screening, which includes pregnancy test, ultrasound, and then STD screening. We also have a relationships counselor um, that, that can see someone for up to six times at no cost. And then we do, again, provide um, STD screening for anybody who would need that service, uh, as well as a host of supporting services after medical care has been provided. And again, all at no cost because of the generosity of individuals and churches um, and groups like Timberline. So, Jenny, it's great to hear what you do, but I know how you do it is very important, the values of of the Alpha Center. Yes, yeah, I think uh, really I, for me um, the how is so much is maybe as important if not the what. Um, and we are, are, are um, humbled to serve with integrity, with dignity, with love, with grace, with truth, uh, with honesty, and with transparency. And I watch our staff who, who care for our patients um, and they 
pour out their hearts. Um, it's more than just their time and their talent. Um, they're really sharing of themselves and have the opportunity to at times cry with patients um, over stories that are shared and also at times rejoice with patients um, as, as they see lives, um, lives transformed and changed. So who is served and how are they served? That's a really good question. Uh, we will take care of anybody and, any, and everyone who, who calls us or reaches out for help. Um, all of our services, again, are, are no cost to anyone. We don't have any um, obstacles to care. You don't need to have insurance. You don't need to have really anything that maybe would feel like a limiter. Um, and we're, we're just honored to take care of anybody. Everybody, but do you find that there are commonalities um, that are found among the people that you are serving? Yes, yeah. I think that's, again, a really great question. Um, I used to think people wouldn't look like me, and the truth is we serve people that look just like us, that are um, people who are facing a specific challenge. Uh, each one that we see is, is broken in some way, in need of grace. Um, each one is seeking help in some way. Um, each one is looking for change, and ultimately, I think as believers, we could say they're looking for Christ, and, and we get to be a window and an opportunity to meet Christ. So a question that will be in the back of the minds of many, I'm sure. Women who are actually considering an abortion, are they, are they finding a welcome and, and help and support uh, and care? Yes, absolutely. Um, we're committed to providing dignified, excellent care no matter what. No matter what the decisions that someone is considering, what maybe decisions they've made in the past. Um, we're not a place of shame or judgment. Um, we recognize that we have an opportunity to shine that light in, in, the, dark, in the darkness and to, um, to lead to an opportunity for someone to be reconciled to Christ, as, as we all have been as, as, as followers of Jesus. Uh, in fact, one of our programs, um, we have information at the table um, out in the mall called Awake, is a program that's specific um, to provide intentional care and opportunity for reconciliation for women who have had an abortion experience in their past, and and it's one of our um, it's one of the programs that we're just really excited to be able to offer, and we're so thankful um, to be able to partner with with um, anybody who who calls us. Yeah, uh, but before we go on, Pastor Jeff, can we take a selfie of us with this body of church? I don't often get asked for selfies for some reason, <laughs> but um, be grateful and glad. Well, we're do Is it. everybody ready to do a selfie? Kind of just lean in if you're in the middle. Can you can you smile? It's fun. Smile. Can you do better with the smile? <laughs> I mean, fake it. Just fake it. That's, that, that's, that's good. All, All right. right. And, uh, you, yeah. yeah okay. We're going to do it. Ready? All right. Let's do it. Yeah. One, two, three. All right. Wonderful. It's for my mom. She loves to see this stuff. So All right. it's great. Huh. Good job. That's great. I like that. Everyone say, hey, mom. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you so much for Jen and the team. Thank you that we can let love live as grace and truth is shared. And uh, we ask you to continue to keep your hand of blessing upon the Alpha Center. Thank you for women and babies that are helped and blessed because of the work that they continue to do. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Let's say thanks to Jen, shall we? Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, we are beginning a brand new series this weekend. It's called How We Change.
practicing the way of Jesus. And this weekend, the word that we're going to be focusing on is practice. Uh, We're going to be talking over the next seven weeks or so about spiritual practices. Some people call them spiritual disciplines, and they include, and this is not a total list, but uh, prayer, worship, celebration, service, fellowship, and then also what are called disciplines of abstinence that include solitude and silence and fasting. We're going to be thinking about some of these practices. So let us now turn to Scripture, and I've got three brief Scripture readings that I'd like us to share. All of them come from the heart and the pen, if you will, of Paul, the apostle, who himself had learned spiritual discipline and practice. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says, "...the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image." And then writing to the churches in Galatia, the Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then writing to, to Timothy, a young Christian leader, Paul writes and says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be godly. It was surely one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life, and if you've listened to me over the years, I have lots of embarrassing experiences. If you don't know me, let me tell you that I have a spectacular gift of ineptitude. And what that means is that I stagger around like a kind of Mr. Bean with a Bible, going from one disaster to another. And this particular disaster happened when I decided to take up golf. Put the ball in the hole. Easy peasy, right? No. I hate it. I have forsaken it. But I decided to take up golf, and I played a few times, and then I went with a a, a fellow pastor here. This is like 15 years ago or so, I think, and we went to Mariana Butte Golf Course to play golf together, and I didn't realize that if there's just two of you, they can pair you up with complete strangers. I didn't mind embarrassing myself in front of a friend, But strangers is a different issue, although I do it almost on a weekly basis to some who are new to Timberline. But anyway, we're at the golf course, and we are paired up with these two lovely gentlemen from Japan. And they didn't speak much English, and my Japanese is fairly limited, so uh, there's a lot of smiling and, and bowing from both sides. And then we kicked off, and, and they looked pretty happy to be with us until we actually started to play. And I've often said, I don't have a swing, I, I have a spasm. And it, it wasn't going well. These guys are probably thinking, this English guy, he, he thinks that the idea is to get the highest score. Because like when you play 17 on a par 3, that's not good, baby. So we're playing, and their smiles were wearing thin. And every hole we bowed, and I bowed apologetically, they bowed. And, and after nine holes, they gave up. They like, they smiled and they fled for their lives. Now, why is it that I am so rubbish in golf? Once, uh, pastors went out together, and Pastor Darry, he's really good at golf, which is so irritating. And, and they put me on his team. And I said, wow, I'm in the elite team. And they said, no, he's so good, he needs a handicap. That's you. <laughs> My golf is rubbish, and I'm terrible at French. I hated learning French at school. 
So now, all these years later, all I know is one phrase in French, où à la gare, which means, where is the station? Sadly, if I ever had the opportunity to ask where the station is and someone told me, I wouldn't understand their response. <laughs> so now, when I go to France, which is very occasionally, I, I speak English with a French accent. I do. I go, I go, hello. How are you? And people think, he's an English guy who's possibly from Australia who's trying to learn French. This is really ridiculous. Why is this? It is because I didn't want to practice French, golf. My wife bought me lessons. I've still got the certificate. It's outdated. I didn't want to practice. So, never mind golf or French, what about change? And how does change relate to practice? Are we changing? And as a pastor who's been doing this for a lot of years, I want to say, actually, sometimes not much. You see, often there's radical change at conversion. A person decides that the direction that their life is heading in is destructive. They make radical choices at the beginning, but then settle down into a kind of comfortable Christianity. And there's not much change. And sometimes we can know what we've been saved from. Yeah, I've been rescued by Jesus and saved from my sin, but we're not so conscious about what we've been saved for. And you say, well, why? Well, well, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Yeah, but there's life in the meantime. Also, I think that we are at a place in history where often there are low expectations that Christians, that we Christians have of each other. You see, the, the gospel call is a radical call to follow Christ and be like Him. That's why I so appreciate, for example, our friends from YWAM, Youth with a Mission, who are here serving with us over the next coming weeks because they are an example of people who have committed themselves to radical discipleship and growth. And if you became a Christian in the first 300 years of Christianity, here's the deal. You were possibly going to die. And you might die after being tortured horribly. In the first 300 years, the call to follow Christ meant persecution and suffering. And then one of the most disastrous moments in history happened. And at the time, they must have thought it was amazing, but it was a disaster. The Emperor Constantine, who was in charge of the Roman Empire, he had an experience where he said God spoke to him. He was about to go into a battle, and he said God spoke to him and said, put the cross of Jesus on every shield of every Roman soldier. So he did, and he won the battle. You might think, hallelujah, but it was a disaster because the emperor responded by declaring the Roman Empire to be entirely Christian. It was horrendous because now you didn't opt in and choose. You were in. Evangelism? No, everyone's in. You say, why are you telling us about something that happened all those years ago? I didn't become a Christian for the first 17 years of my life because I lived in Britain, which was part of the Roman Empire, and the lingering Constantinian hangover told me, 
Well, I must be a Christian because I live in Britain and I, I became a Christian. Someone said, are you a Christian? I said, of course I am. I'm British. Ridiculous. But that deception was planted 1,600 years earlier. The narrow way where you were willing to die if you became a Christian, now everybody was in. Women in leadership were marginalized. The prophetic voice of the church became the priestly church, maintaining social order. The radical became the respectable. What that means is, in the West at least, not globally, because there are Christians today suffering horribly for their faith, but for us, it's kind of easy to become a Christian and be a Christian. And so our expectations can be low. So how can we be passionate, committed disciples of Jesus and experience change and transformation? Well, first of all, here's the first point. Let's step back for a moment and know that we are all being shaped daily, consciously or unconsciously. The late, great Dallas Willard said, everyone gets a spiritual formation. It's like education. Everyone gets an education. It's just a matter of which one you get. Whether we're conscious or not of it, we're all being shaped today. Every conversation we have, every experience that we Navigate our education, our upbringing, the things we watch, the things we read, the things we hear. All of these shape us. And in a day where it's been said that secularism is very much in the saddle, that brings a need for us to be diligent. We are being shaped, but are we being shaped positively? The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the church in Rome, Romans 12, he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word pattern there comes from the Greek word schema, from which we get the word scheme. Paul is saying there is a scheme to try and make us all keep in step with the world's values. And so the Phillips translation of Romans 12, too, says, stop letting the world squeeze you into its mold. Over the next seven weeks, and of course ongoingly, we want to call each other to be diligent, alert, thoughtful about how we're being shaped. Secondly, let's know that for the Christian, the primary agent of change in our lives is the Holy Spirit. This is good news, Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. I experienced with you this week snow. I like snow for one day. Anyone with me in this? Maybe two. And I like snow, I like two or three inches of snow. I think 12 inches of snow in one day should be illegal. It's wrong. And we were out of town and we came back and we'd had snowfall and we have a long driveway at our house and so I said, to Kay, I said, honey, we're going to have to plow through this stuff just to get into the house. You know what happens when you do that? You create a, a, a little ice rink on your driveway. Such a joy. So we get through that, and, and I said, okay, I, I need to get out there. And I don't have a tractor or anything. Uh, we ha I have this snowblower. So I said to Kay, I'm going to go out there, and I'll, I'll do that. And I, and I like this 
Because it, it makes me feel like Colorado man. Snowblower. I like it for five minutes. Then my fingers get cold. But I've got this next door neighbor. His name is Dave. He's got a super duper tractor. And Dave told me some while ago that he likes clearing snow. He thinks it's fun. He said, anytime you want, Jeff, just let me know. I'll come and clear your drive. I, I love it. It's fun. But I'm British. And I don't like to ask. So I'm out there with the snowblower, and I'm hating it. And the snow is so thick, the snowblower is throwing up every five minutes. Like, poof. <laughs> So I think, I wonder if Dave can see me struggling. So I'm going to adopt a posture of being forlorn and pathetic. <laughs> you there, Dave? Any, is any, any, oh. Dave doesn't show up. So I clear the snow, and then the next day, the Lord blesses us with more snow. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So I get out there again, and Kay's praying, because, you know, these things don't normally end well. Amputation could be possible. <laughs> and then Kay says, Dave's on the phone. I said, Dave, hi, what can I do for you? He said, I'd love to come and clear your snow. I said, oh, no, 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 yes! Dave came over and helped. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but a helper is coming, one who draws alongside. After the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were told to suspend global mission and wait in Jerusalem for the helper, the Holy Spirit, to come. James Bryan Smith says, Jesus-centered spiritual formation is the process of being transformed in the image of Christ through a relationship of intimacy with God by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live a good and beautiful life of faith, hope, love, joy, and peace, a life that will be a blessing to oneself, to others, and will glorify God now and for all eternity. Let's do more of asking the Holy Spirit to come alongside, to fill us, to help us. It's not just about us sweating. There's hope and encouragement there. The third thing is that the Holy Spirit's agenda is to make us more like Jesus. That's the agenda, to make us more like Jesus. I, I, I've told you before, I, I like looking at bumper stickers. And there's one that irritates me. It's a Christian bumper sticker, and it goes like this. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Yeah, but that's not the whole story. Now, I know we can't put the whole story on a bumper sticker. The bumper would get wider and wider if we put the Book of Romans up there. But that's not the whole story. We're not, but we're just forgiven. No, that's, that is not it. Yes, we are forgiven, but it doesn't stop there. 2 Corinthians 3, the Spirit makes us more and more like Him. Wow. Galatians 4, Paul again. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, just dig deep with me here. God doesn't want to just make us into nice people. 
First of all, God wants us to be made into what he has created us to be. The Bible says we're his workmanship. Piomi is the Greek from which we get the word poetry. We are his poetry. It's beautiful. Sometimes people say, I need to be the best version of myself. Sometimes that's a prelude to selfishness. God wants us to be who he has created us to be. And please get this. Persistent sin will fragment us and displace us from our true selfhood. Have you ever watched someone make disastrous choices? He or she, example, in their marriage, and they make these terrible choices, and then their friends say of them, they're a different person. That's not them. It's because there can be a fragmentation, a displacement. I'm interested in the prodigal son story, Luke 15. When the boy got fed up with fellowshipping with the pigs, Luke tells us, and when he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go to my father. You see, there's sin caused him, if I may put it like this, to be beside himself. But then he says, no, this is not me. And then he comes to himself, and then he comes to the Father. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that beautiful Hebrew word for repentance, teshuvah, which means homecoming. When we, when we understand the fragmentation of sin, we come home to ourselves, and we come home to God. And the Holy Spirit then wants to make us not like any other human being, but like Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred by the Nazis at the end of the Second World War, he said, Jesus is the only pattern that we follow, we must follow. And because he lives his life in us, we too can walk even as he has walked, do as he has done, and love as he has loved, forgive as he forgave, and therefore we're able to follow the example he left us, lay down our lives for the brethren as he did. It is only because he became like us that we can become like him, being like Jesus. Our friends in the Orthodox Church have a word for this. They call it Christification. Becoming like Christ. The word Christian, which was originally used as an insult, the word means this. Christ, Messiah, anointed one, that's what it means. Ian is little ones. The early Christians were called little Christs. It was intended as an insult. What a marvelous commendation. God's intention is to make us like Christ. And the fourth thing is this. The result then will be heart change, not just people who make good choices. Writing about a new species of humanity us, Paul says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And, and, and here's what God is calling us to. He is calling us not to navigate the crisis of temptation. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Shall I go that way? No. He wants the gradual formation of character to happen so that when the crisis of temptation comes, character kicks in 
And we know instinctively then what to do because we've been shaped and formed. Let me give you an example. Thursday, January the 15th, 2009, flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport heading for North Carolina. 155 passengers and crew on board and one minute into the flight, the plane hit uh, a bird strike and power was lost in both engines. Every pilot's nightmare. I'm sure most will be familiar with this name. The pilot was Captain Chesley Sullenberger, in popular culture now known as Sully. He contacted ground control, he weighed up his options, couldn't go back to LaGuardia, and so he spoke those immortal words, we'll be in the Hudson. They interviewed Sully a few weeks afterwards. They said, were you praying? He said, no, I assume people in the back were probably taking care of that. After 40 years of flying, he reacted to the dilemma as if it was just second nature. He didn't land in the Hudson, in the Hudson because the rule book told him to. And he didn't land in the Hudson because of precedent, because previous attempts of landing on water have not turned out well. Despite what they tell us at the beginning of that flight, planes don't do good on water. What happened is he made the decision based on 40 years of experience and training and hundreds and hundreds of flying hours. And now it was second nature. Being changed is not just about responding to crisis, but it's about daily, ongoing shaping so that at the moment of decision, it's called virtue ethics. At the moment of decision, the virtue that has been shaped in our character causes us to do what is right. Number five. Number five, as we choose spiritual practices, we partner with God. We partner with God. You know, sometimes we Christians say some silly things. Over the years, I've collected daft things that Christians say. Here's one of them. You might have heard this one. The will of God is probably what you don't want to do. Some of us have heard that. You know, don't say you don't want to be a missionary. God hears you say that. You're off to India. Uh, and, and I struggled. I heard that as a new Christian. And I, I met this young lady called Kay, and, and I, I, I fell in love with her. And after much prayer and fasting, she eventually fell in love with me. <laughs> and uh, I, I told a friend, I said, I, I, I want to marry her. And he said, is it God's will? With a kind of stern face. I said, I, I don't know. I said, how do I know? He said, well, you know, the will of God is probably what you don't want. Okay, so I've got to marry someone I don't like and he's really ugly, right? <laughs> and you're looking at me right now, you're thinking, she believed that too, didn't she? <laughs> I mean, the will of God can be challenging and costly, but the idea that God is just dreaming up plans that we don't like, that's crazy. Here's another one that Christians often say, well, it must have been meant. What? As if God's will is everything that happens. We're not in a puppet theater with God pulling the strings. We're in a broken world where God doesn't always get his perfect will done. Why on earth would we be told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? 
And here's another one. Here's another Christian saying, just let go and let God. Let go and let God. Well, there is an element of truth to that, but again, it's not the truth. Look at these two verses in Philippians 2. Paul says in Philippians 2.12, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Wow, that sounds like effort. But then he says in the very next verse, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases Him. The first verse says effort, and the second verse says energy, God's power at work in you. Grace is opposed to earning nor effort. We are saved by grace, but that doesn't nullify the need for us to have effort. If I can put it like this, the disciplines, the practices, John Ortberg uses this illustration. It's like putting up the sail in a sailboat. The practices enable us to put up the sail, but we then need the wind of the Holy Spirit to come, otherwise we are becalmed. But there is responsibility for us. And I pray that we'll be open during this next seven weeks to embrace spiritual practices that are not familiar to us. I, I tried a new one yesterday. Silent prayer. You ever done that? You just decide to pray, but you say nothing. It's really difficult for me. I'm just sitting there like... Desperate to say something. Someone once asked the late Mother Teresa how she prayed. She said, well, she said, when I pray, I don't say anything. I just listen. And they said, well, what does God do? She said, well, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. <laughs> Am I suggesting that we don't say anything when we pray? Of course I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to just be in the presence of God and not say anything or feel compelled to bring my list or say the words I normally say, it's, it's unfamiliar for me. And, and honestly, it got a bit boring. And then I read that when we get bored and our minds drift and I'm thinking about having a cup of tea, and then I come back to God, it's another opportunity to run home to Him, which kind of liberated me. Are we open to new practices? Number six. We grow together in community and mentoring relationships. We need each other, Timberline family, in this. Notice, if you will, that whenever the Bible talks about spiritual growth, it's never you. It's always we and us. We need community together. It's one of the reasons why Church really matters. Desmond Tutu, the late bishop, Archbishop of South Africa, died just a few weeks ago. He said, none of us come into our world fully formed. We would not know how to think or walk or speak or behave as human beings unless we learned it from other human beings. The solitary, isolated human being is a contradiction in terms. We need each other. And by the way, that includes mentoring, allowing people to speak into our lives or perhaps us having the opportunity to caringly help others in their walk of faith. Jesus didn't send his disciples to Bible school. He's saying, saying, there's something wrong with that? No. But Jesus adopted 
the practice of learning at the time, which was rabbinic. And the Jews have a saying, if you are to grow, you must walk in the dust of your rabbi's sandals. They followed him around. They asked questions. And we can create that in our own lives. At the end of this service, you might, you might have noticed a few sticky notes over there and over there and over there. And at the end of this service, as you leave, we're going to invite you to think, invite us to think, I'm participating in this, of the first name of a mentor who has had a positive, a person who's had a positive mentoring influence upon us in our journey with Jesus. I'd like you to start thinking about that now. And then as you leave today, you don't have to do it, but I'd love us to do this, and we're going to be building this collage over the next seven weeks. Write the first name of that person, and go and stick it on the wall, and then just take a moment to give thanks to God for them, and celebrate them. We change together. Last thing is this. Change lives, change the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. The point is simply this. It's not just about us. Me. If it, does, if it becomes that, then this is all just about spiritual preening. No. Part of God's agenda to make us like Jesus is because He's always wanted a people who would be a working model of what life with Christ looks like. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. The New Testament, the church. Here's the thing, as we come to prayer. There are people in northern Colorado today who have no clue what Jesus looks like. And here's the plan. The plan is, across every church in northern Colorado, there are followers of Jesus. Here's the plan. The plan is that we, by the work of the Holy Spirit, become like Jesus. So people out there who are like, what's going on in the world? And then they look at our lives, broken, under construction, gradually being changed, not arrived. But people can look at our lives and go, oh, okay. I get it, I think. I, I think Jesus might look a bit like those people. You say, that's a, big, that's a big challenge. Little Christs. So let's go on this journey in these next seven weeks. And, and maybe you'd like to begin the journey of actually becoming a follower of Jesus. And there's an opportunity to do that too right now. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the investment that you have in us. We often talk about believing in you, but you believe in us. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to do that work of transformation. We commit our journey to you in these coming weeks. Work among us, Spirit of God. Introduce us to practices that we're not familiar with. Shape us. Grow us, change us. Just whisper your own prayer. And if you'd like to become a Christian, you'd like to begin that journey, 
I'd love to help by praying a prayer that you can whisper after me. Not as some kind of formula, but as a first step if you'd like to make that choice. Let me be clear. This is not a prayer just to ask God to bless you and help you out. This is a prayer that we can use to say, I want to become a follower of Jesus, a Christian. I believe there are people watching online in this auditorium who want to make that decision today. I'm going to pray the prayer and listen out at the end when Nikki comes back because we have ways to help you with that choice. If you want to use the prayer, it goes something like this. Jesus, I need you and I want you. Please rescue me. Please save me. Forgive me. Renew me. Thank you for your finished work on the cross. I now want to follow you. I want to give you my life. Show me what that looks like. Now, at this moment, 11.01 a.m. Sunday morning, I will follow you. Thank you. You will help me by your Spirit all the way. In Jesus' name. Amen.